Chapter Forty Three of Donal Grant. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Devora Allen. Donal Grant by George MacDonald. Chapter Forty Three. Eppy and Kennedy. When Stephen Kennedy heard that Eppy had gone back to her grandparents. A faint hope revived in his bosom. He knew nothing of the late passage between the two parties. He but knew that she was looking sad. She might perhaps allow him to be of some service to her. Separation had fostered more and more gentle thoughts of her in his heart. He was ready to forgive her everything, and believe nothing serious against her, if only she would let him love her again. Modesty had hitherto kept him from throwing himself in her way, but he now haunted the house in the hope of catching a glimpse of her, and when she began to go again into the town, saw her repeatedly, following her to be near her, but taking care she should not see him. Partly from her self-absorption, he had succeeded in escaping her notice. At length, however, one night, he tried to summon up courage to accost her. It was a lovely moonlit night, half the street black with quaint shadows, the other half shining like sand in the yellow light. On the moony side, people standing at their doors could recognize each other two houses away, but on the other, friends might pass without greeting. Eppie had gone into the baker's. Kennedy had seen her go in, and stood in the shadow, waiting, all but determined to speak to her. She stayed a good while, but one accustomed to wait for fish learns patience. At length she appeared. By this time, however, though not his patience, Kennedy's courage had nearly evaporated, and when he saw her he stepped under an archway, let her pass, and followed afresh. All at once resolve, which yet was no resolve, awoke in him. It was as if someone took him and set him before her. She started when he stepped in front, and gave a little cry. "'Dinna be feart, Eppie,' he said. "'I wouldn't hurt a hair of your head. I would rather be skinned myself.' "'King away,' said Eppie. "'You had no right to stand in my gate.' "'None but the right alone you better nor ever,' said Kennedy. "'Din so be as you let me any gate shot.' The words softened her. She had dreaded reproach, if not indignant remonstrance. She began to cry. "'Gin anything in my power would make the grief lighter upon ye, Eppie,' he said. "'Ye have but to name it. I'm not going to ask ye to marry me, for that I ken ye didn't care about. But gin I might be looked upon as a friend, if not to you, yet to yours, allowed any way to help in your trouble, I mean. I'm ready to lay me in the dirt afore ye. I have no care for myself any more.' and mun do something for somebody. And who, so soon as you're still, Eppy? For sole answer, Eppy went on crying. She was far from happy. She had nearly persuaded herself that all was over between her and Lord Forgue, and almost she could, but for shame, have allowed Kennedy to comfort her as an old friend. Everything in her mind was so confused, and everything around her so miserable, that she could but cry. She continued crying, and as they were in a walled lane, into which no windows looked, Kennedy, in the simplicity of his heart, and the desire to comfort her, who little from him deserved comfort, came up to her, and putting his arm round her, said again, "'Dinna be feart o' me, Eppy. I'm a man o'er sair hearted to do ye any hurt. It's not as thinking ye may ain, Eppy, I would presume to do anything for ye, but as an old friend, fain to take the dog off ye. Are ye in want of anything? Ye mun have a heap o' trouble I will, Ken, we your grandfather's mischance, 
and it's easy to understand that things may well be turned scarce about ye. But be sure of this, that as long as my mither has anything, she'll be blithe to share the same with you and yours. He said his mother, but she had nothing, save what he provided her with. I thank you, Stephen, said Eppie, touched with his goodness, but there's no necessity. We have plenty. She moved on, her apron still to her eyes. Kennedy followed her. Gin the young lord ha wronged ye any gate, he said from behind her, and gin there be any amends ye would have a him. She turned with a quickness that was fierce, and in the dim light Kennedy saw her eyes blazing. I want nothing fra your hand, Stephen Kennedy, she said. My lord's nothing to you, nor yet muckle to me, she added, with sudden reaction and an outburst of self-pity, and again fell a-weeping, and sobbing now. With the timidity of a strong man before the girl he loves and therefore fears, Kennedy once more tried to comfort her, wiping her eyes with her apron. While he did so, a man, turning a corner quickly, came almost upon them. He started back, then came nearer, looked hard at them, and spoke. It was Lord Forgue. "'Eppie!' he exclaimed, in a tone in which indignation blended with surprise. Eppie gave a cry, and ran to him. He pushed her away. "'My lord,' said Kennedy, "'the lass will none of me or mine. I sair doubt there's none but yourself can please her. But I swear by God, my lord, gin you do her any wrong, I'll no rest, night nor day, till I have made ye repent it. "'Go to the devil,' said Forgu. "'There's an old crow, I suspect, yet, to pluck between us. "'For me you may take her, though. "'I don't go halves.' "'Eppy laid her hand timidly on his arm, "'but again he pushed her away. "'Oh, my lord!' she sobbed, "'and could say no more for weeping. "'How is it I find you here with this man?' he asked. "'I don't want to be unfair to you, but it looks rather bad.' "'My lord,' said Kennedy, "'hold your tongue. "'Let her speak for herself.' "'I had no tryst with him, my lord. "'I never said come nigh me,' sobbed Eppie. "'You see what you had done,' she cried, "'turning in anger on Kennedy, and her tears suddenly ceasing. "'Never but ill had you brought me. "'What business had you to come after me this gate, "'making mischief between my lord and me? "'Can a body not set foot ayond the door-sill, "'but they mun be followed o' them they would see far enough?' "'Kennedy turned and went, "'and Eppie with a fresh burst of tears turned to go also.' but she had satisfied Forgu that there was nothing between them, and he was soon more successful than Kennedy in consoling her. While absent, he had been able enough to get on without her, but no sooner was he home than, in the weary lack of interest, the feelings which, half lamenting, half rejoicing, he had imagined extinct, began to revive, and he went to the town vaguely hoping to get a sight of Eppie. Coming upon her tete-a-tete -tete with her old lover, First a sense of unpardonable injury possessed him, and next the conviction that he was as madly in love with her as ever. The tide of old tenderness came throbbing and streaming back over the ghastly sands of jealousy, and ere they parted he had made with her an appointment to meet the next night in a more suitable spot. Donal was seated by Andrew's bedside reading. He had now the opportunity of bringing many things before him such as the old man did not know to exist. Those last days of sickness and weakness were among the most blessed of his life. Much that could not be done for many a good man with ten times his education could be done for a man like Andrew Coman. Eppie had done her best to remove all traces of emotion ere she re-entered the house, but she could not help the shining of her eyes. The joy-lamp relighted in her bosom shone through them, and Andrew, looking up when she entered, Donal seated with his back to her, 
at once knew her secret. Her grandfather read it from her face, and Donal read it from his. She has seen Forgue, he said to himself. I hope the old man will die soon. End of chapter 43